Gadgets and spy movies. Can you believe it? We're kicking off this series of podcasts with the gadgets in Dr. No and Skyfall with a special guest on the show to talk about some of the Skyfall gadgets. Believe it or not, here we go. Hi, this is Tom Pizzotto and Dan Silvestri of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Come join us for each fun episode of our Cracking the Code of Spy Movies podcast and our YouTube channel. Give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends about us too. This is the first in a series of podcasts we'll do over time that discuss gadgets in spy movies. We're going to start with the first James Bond movie, Dr. No, then we're going to fast forward into Skyfall as we have a guest for our Smartest Spy in the Room segment. I think you'll find very interesting. So Dan, let's go ahead and talk about the gadgets in Dr. No. Okay, so we're not going to talk about every gadget in every spy movie that's ever been made. We're going to try to pick out some of the interesting ones. And for the Bond stuff, we're going to go back to Dr. No and start there. That seems to be the logical place to go. All right, so let's start with Dr. No, Bond's first movie. Why not? It's a good one. Yeah, but it doesn't have a ton of gadgets, Dan. They really hadn't gotten into the gadget mode until after this movie. They did not. There are not a lot of gadgets in Dr. No. But we have to cover Dr. No because it's the first Bond movie. And it is pretty much a pure spy movie in terms of gadgets. There aren't a lot of gadgets. And he's more acting like a spy, doing espionage, trying to find things out. And so that part is kind of fun. But there are a couple of things in there that we could talk about a little bit. So, first of all, there's the Geiger counter. Okay, that's a real device, and most people would have heard of a Geiger counter even in 1962. So, obviously, the Geiger counter is very believable. It was a real device, generally well-known, and he uses that on the boat, if you remember the first time on the boat, to try to see if the base of the boat was radioactive from the rocks. Yeah. So, cool, but not you know, not the kind of gadgets we've come to expect in James Bond movies, but again, this is the first one. Yeah, well, and they've got the, the thing that, you know, when they shower off, there's like the radiation counter there there as well. So, yeah. the same concept, just done differently. Yeah, uh, so there's, there's a couple of things. Then... A second gadget of sorts is Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones is the guy, the enemy driver, who picks up Bond. Oh, yeah, the chauffeur. Yeah, the chauffeur. Bond gets the better of him, and he figures Bond figures out, hey, this, this guy is, is not the driver that's supposed to be picking me up, obviously. He kind of knew that already. And he's trying to get information out of this guy because Bond thought, oh, okay, well, I could use him to get information out of him and figure out what's going on here in... Jamaica and so he makes him pull over and there's a little fight and he flips him over and and he's going to make him talk and the guy says can I have a cigarette before well the answer should always be no if you're <laughs> if you're a spy capturing another spy <laughs> but anyway he's, I want to stall you somehow hmm, something's up here or there might be some gadget in my like a rocket propelled uh, whatever we've which we've seen and so anyway, he, he lets Mr. Jones have a cigarette and he, he chews the cigarette. And of course, it's a cyanide cigarette and he dies of cyanide poisoning and before Bond can get the information. So lesson number one, don't, don't let anyone have a cigarette 
before you want something from them. Why didn't he offer one to Bond? <laughs> yeah, that would have been better. Here, you want a cigarette? <laughs> we'll smoke together. No. Anyway. Yeah. So seeing it here, a cyanide, anything, everyone knew about that already. So yeah, believable. Yeah, very believable. Again, nothing remarkable about these gadgets in Dr. No, but we want to mention them because they are there and they're gadgets in the first Bond spy movie. Well, and so. we're going to talk about Skyfall and yeah. Silva has the deformity because of a cyanide yes. in a tooth that didn't kill him. Yeah, so that's going to be the, the one we do next. All right, so Dr. No's headquarters is nuclear. And of course, nuclear in 1962, yeah, everybody knew about nuclear in 1962, but that's pretty much probably the highest tech thing that's in Dr. No, is his whole headquarters is nuclear. He's got, of course... The electrified grates Bond couldn't get out when he was. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He got scorched a little bit there, and he's got you know pretty much high tech covered, and that other part where they're getting decontaminated too. Yeah, those things were all real. Where they're getting hosed down with foam and stuff like that. All that stuff really existed. So those are all believable gadgets. Doctor No interfering with the missile launches for from the United States. Yeah, you could believe that that can be done. And, Maybe. <laughs> yeah, you could believe it could be done. And and things were, I mean, it was stuff was really happening. We were launching people into space at that time and so on. So against the context of the movie and these gadgets are, they fit in nicely and pretty believable. But I think the biggest thing, Tom, is what I think a lot of people miss in the movie is that little scene with M. And yeah, uh, that... That actually has the gadget that you never see, but may have led to an important thing in the Mission Impossible series. And of course, I mean, that destructor bag. Yeah. M says he's going to send all the papers that Bond will need for the trip to Jamaica in a destructor bag. And again, like in Mission Impossible, the, this message will self-destruct in five seconds. I mean, this is actually a cool sounding device. Unfortunately, we never really see it. No. It's delivered as a quick line. It's almost a throwaway line. Yeah. But did it inspire Mission Impossible, which came out later with this whole, this message will self-destruct? Yeah. I mean, this is pretty cool. And I, you, I've i watched the Dr. No a lot. And really the first five or six times, it's the line that you just don't pay attention to. So yeah. there's, I think, the coolest gadget in Dr. No is the one you don't see, you never see used, <laughs> yeah. but may have inspired Mission yeah. Impossible. There you go. Let's move on. We're going to Skyfall. All right, so here we go with Skyfall. There's not a ton of gadgets introduced in Skyfall now are there Tom? Well, re well really Daniel Craig movies don't have a ton of gadgets in them in general Which but this one especially since they keep talking about old school and stuff like that there's definitely not a lot there yeah which I like I like that there's not a lot of gadgets and he's doing more spy stuff as regular yeah. spies do but, but some gadgets are cool but they are cool there's no question that they add value to the enjoyment of the film so there are some gadgets in Skyfall. For one, they bring back the DB5. Well, who doesn't like that when he goes into the garage and unveils the DB5? I mean, you, you gotta love it. We're not gonna talk about all the gadgets on the DB5 right now. We're just talking about the DB5 as a 
an aggregate of the gadgets that well actually there, there are two of them that actually almost one almost gets used or threatens to get used and then the other <laughs> is and the rest of them aren't yeah yeah so the first the first one is the ejector seat yeah he pops he pops the top of the shifter yeah yeah and tells him eject yeah, me she says yeah exactly so there's that one but right. then you get one during during the battle at the end he uses the machine gun yeah. set in there now, yes. just like when we talked in Thunderball, though, in Thunderball, you're like, why didn't the guys just get out of the way of the water stream? Yeah, because the DB5 didn't have rotating machine guns or anything like that. You just don't get out of the way. But uh, you got to <laughs> have, again, this is Bond. This is Bond. <laughs> what the heck? Anyway, so the DB5 is in there, and that we're all thrilled that that came back. That's yes, nice. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And now stick, sticking with the fight... At the, the big fight at the end, M made those light bulb bomb things where screws and stuff like that in, in a oh, bag. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And she flipped that switch and the and the explosion happened and the the shrapnel really fell all over the place. Yeah, I actually love that. And I, I, I number one, I liked that M was doing it. And it shows she had some of these skills that spy right. guys have and spy women have yeah. because she was doing it. And That's true. Secondly, I love the the sounds. So <laughs> I got to play. All right, I love that. I love that. I love the sound of it. I love that M did it, and it's just darn fun. So yeah, and in that same scene, he does that thing with the. With the shotgun shell, and he kind of like makes that improvised. Oh, and the boards under the explosive boards. device, and he puts it under the boards. Yeah, that's another gadgety kind of thing that happens. Yeah. So, can you believe that? Yeah, yeah, we could believe that. We could believe you could make light bulb bombs, and we believe you could you could do something out of cartridges and put them under the floorboards. So, yeah, it's a very believable gadget. Not an extravagant one, but a, a good one in Skyfall. I think the other thing is that. You have Silva with that mouthpiece device. It's it's a gadget. It's not any kind of high-tech gadget or, you know, any kind of gadget you're going to use in in, a, in combat or whatever. But he's got this mouthpiece thing that kind of fixes his deformity that he, yeah. he got from his suicide attempt. It was impressive when he removed it to reveal what he really looked like. It was kind of frightening. And yes. so, yeah, is that believable? Yeah, we can put our teeth into this one, I think. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. So Bond really only gets two gadgets from Q when they're in the museum. And the first one is the palm reader Walther. And we're going to talk about that with Joe in a little bit. Yeah. Talk about the realities of that. And then the second was that radio transmitter, Homer beacon thing. Yeah. So when he turned it on, it sent a distress signal and they could come and take care of him. Yeah. Bond looked a little disappointed there when he got that little kit with those two devices. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what Q says to him. Were you expecting an exploding pen? We don't really go for that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And that, that line sunk, sunk my heart. I I loved the exploding pen. Yeah. Well, the exploding pen is fun. And in real life, the CIA developed pens with poisonous tip so you can come up to somebody and just stick them with the pen and kill them so their pens did play a role in real spy stuff so but this one <laughs> he was like no we don't, we don't go for that anymore and they're sitting in the museum the national gallery in london when they were doing yeah. this right 
and they're sitting in front of those paintings and so on. It's a famous scene. I think it's Gallery 24. And Tom and I sat there too, and we got a picture of us sitting. I don't right, remember the number. Right where these guys were. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, so there's another little gadget that a couple of little gadgets Bond yeah. got. And the gun, the Walter PPK, has some kind of palm print reader on there or something. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit with Joe Papalardo, who is going to be our guest. Now, All right, before, before we get there, a couple other little gadget things that yeah. happen in this movie. One is, actually, so the gun is with Patrice, who's the henchman. And he's got the, the double got the, one. the double magazine thing. Then he also uses this automatic glass cutter. So when he's getting ready to shoot across the across from one building to the other, yeah, to do his kill, he has that automatic glass cutter that cuts the hole in the window. Yeah. And what I love about it is the sound that happens when he pulls that thing back and you hear the wind like rushing this? through. Exactly. I just love that sound. It's a good sound. And I agree. It's kind of a cool glass cutter because what he does is he cuts a little hole in the glass so he can put the rifle barrel through it and aim across the way through the windows to hit his target. So it's kind of cool. And it's kind of automatic. It's kind of a neat little cutting device. So that's a nice little gadget that you don't pay attention to a lot in the movie. You just see, okay, wow. That's pretty cool. Now, that building, that was the one that was supposed to be in Shanghai, I believe. Right, right. That's in London, actually. And Tom and I were actually in that very lobby of that building where you see this happening, where Bond goes in and the guy gets killed down in the lobby and so on. So we were we were actually at that building. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, but we weren't in Shanghai. No, we, we weren't in Shanghai. We were, down, you, we were in movie London. Magic. <laughs> movie magic. Yeah. All right, so, so there's one more gadgety kind of thing in my, in my mind in Skyfall and it's the use of a vehicle. Now we normally don't really think of vehicles as gadgets. We think of like with the DB five, there are gadgets in the vehicle. Yeah. But in this case, during that pre-title sequence fight between Bond and Patrice, when he's chasing after him, Bond jumps into that caterpillar. It's got the cat logo on it. That excavator. Oh, on the train, on the train. Yeah. On the, on the, on the train. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. He's using it, he's like swinging around, but then all of a sudden he uses it as a gadget to go and grab and onto the train because Patrice tried to decouple the cars. Yeah, and then so he, he uses it He grabs bridge, it and right? then he uses it as, as a bridge. To get to the so he car. uses this huge thing as a gadget to do something he really needed to get done. Something you, it's not a gadget Q gave him, that's for sure. Yeah, and Caterpillar is headquartered about 60 or 70 miles from us and we used to go down there and sell them software. So there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so we like cat. <laughs> we like cat. Hey, there were a couple of cool weapons in Skyfall and some cyber attack threats and capabilities too. For our look into the weapons of Skyfall, we want to focus on a couple and the cyber attacks. So why not ask the guy who wrote an article on it? We have as a special guest today, our smartest spy in the room, Joe Papalardo, an author and magazine contributor to Smithsonian Air and Space and Popular Mechanics. Joe wrote an article for Popular Mechanics in November 2012 called Fact Versus Fiction, The Truth About Skyfall's Weapons. So Joe is going to help us crack the code of these Skyfall weapons. Joe, welcome to the Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. 
Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Hey, we're excited to have you on the show. So tell us about the weapons that appear in Skyfall that are of interest that we just talked about and how fact versus fiction kind of plays a role here. It's, these sort of spy movies are a great opportunity to take a look at the hardware, take a look at the way they're employed and use the, the movie to, dare I say, educate the public a little bit about what's actually out there. And not surprisingly, they take their cues from real life things and real things that exist. And that ranges from the, the weapons that James Bond uses to some of the threats that the that his supervillains are employing, cyber cyber threats and infrastructure attacks. And yeah. so it's, it's a really a fun thing to do. Um, I like, I always like looking at James Bond's hardware because it's not spyware. These are, you know, spies don't use guns generally, right? Spies are looking for information and yeah. they stealth, right? So the, so the big bang, bang hardware, like the hundred capacity drums, and the dual capacity drums, those are, they look cool and they're great, but you know, at the end of the day, it's not really good spy craft. So I, I starting with the terminology, I always like to sort of look into what that, the tools and the profession, if they actually match up in the real world or not. So Joe, you're talking about the scene in, in the pre-title sequence of Skyfall during the chase when this assassin, Patrice, is firing this weapon. We were thinking, hey, that looks like a pretty cool gadget that maybe the prop team came up with. And when I saw it, I was thinking, well, it kind of looks like an upside-down motion picture camera or an upside-down Mickey Mouse, really. It looked weird, but it definitely looked like a prop that they made up. But you're thinking no, right? Yeah, definitely not. The twin drum setup is out there. The military's tested it. They had a pretty good test it from 2008. They're not in widespread use, but they exist for sure. That weapon that the assassin used, maybe not the best weapon for a, for sort of a, an assassin who's trying to get the job done quietly, but those <laughs> do exist. They spit out a lot of, of bullets. You can buy them for 300 bucks, even. They're not, there's no federal ban against them or anything that I know of. So uh, they exist. And the prop houses generally will use things that do exist and then adapt them whenever possible. They have them in their arsenals. I visited a lot of FX shops with weapons and prop weapons, and that's how they tend to do it. Or they adapt them based on what the plot requires. Sometimes they'll get a drawing of a gun or a weapon. They have to adapt it. But a lot of times the screenplay writers and the prop houses, everyone will use what does it, actually does exist in the real world. Wow. And what are they called officially? The, the one that, that I saw, I want to make sure I get the name right, so I'm going to refer to It's the Betaco, um okay. 100 grand twin drum magazine. That you can attach them to Glocks um, or military assault rifles. So they sell these magazines to special to attach to various weapons. Wow. Is, this an auto, I mean, is this an automatic? Is it you have to shoot each, each bullet individually, pulling the trigger? or No, not at all. You want to burn no. through those drums as quickly as you can. That's the point of them. They're not... <laughs> You know, so, it's like a machine gun pistol. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you could put them uh, on an assault rifle to make an extended magazine out of them as well. A very extended 100-round wow. magazine. Wow. Yeah, I just, all I know is if I tried to get out of that Audi like he did with that gun, I would have banged the gun on the door or door frame <laughs> trying to get out. The, try well, to turn it. No, that's true. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm not an assassin. Wow. Okay, so this is real, and it's impressive, but... Not as impressive as the next weapon, and I'm saying oh, that as... <laughs> Dan. Oh, Dan. <laughs> Joe, so, so the other weapon we thought well, that was pretty cool and high-tech, and we saw something like this in License to Kill in 1989. 
was Bond's Walter PPK that was fitted with some kind of palm reader or something like that. It's a it's a great scene in Macau where Bond cashes in his chips, not dying wise, but and he meets this woman who says, "Hey, when I leave, they're gonna kill you." And he gets into this big fight with these three goons. He takes care of two of them, and he falls into the Komodo dragon pit with the other guy, and that's where this kind of takes place and this Walter PPK thing. So, what are your thoughts on that weapon? Well, the pistol itself is brilliant, right? Um, and it seems like, just like his vehicles, the plot meisters want to get his iconic hardware and gussy it up somehow, make it more techy. And the way they thought they'd do that was with the biometric pistol grip. They're not great ideas generally. Banner Ray doesn't like them. The gun control people don't like them. Nobody really likes them. The professionals don't like them. You can get blood or sweat. Anything that's going to interfere with the use of that weapon when you need to use it is a bad thing. And that physical connection between the grip and the, and the fingerprint in the hand, that's not a great way to go about it. So I think it's a stupid idea, quite frankly. <laughs> I think there's smarter ways to achieve the same thing. You can have an RFID bracelet that puts out a signal to the, the weapon. That's a lot more reliable. There are other ways to safeguard that weapon. But a true professional would know, don't let the other guy get it. That's how you that's how you do that. It kind of happens with Bond a lot. <laughs> but so, so do those grips actually exist, though, and people just don't like them? Or... Was, is that really movie magic? There, it's not movie magic. The National Institutes of Standards, basically NIST, has tested these things, law enforcement, FBI, gun safe groups. A lot of people have researched them, and yeah, they do exist. You can, you can buy them on the open market, but with the big caveat that the pros don't like them, and they don't like them for a good reason. Yeah, that's it. Uh, when you see it, you think, okay, that's pretty cool, but then... Actually, in the scene itself, it, it was great because I, I love when the henchman is in the pit with Bond and he knocks Bond down and he, and he takes Bond's weapon. Like you're saying, Joe, hey, that's the first thing you don't let somebody take your weapon. But And he's going to kill Bond with it. And as the Komodo dragon's kind of sneaking behind the goon and is going to get him. And Bond's, I, I like the quip that Bond does. He says, uh, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck with that. And of course, the gun doesn't fire. But I was thinking in general... You're saying, hey, that's, this is not a good choice for a weapon for a spy like Bond. And I, I always thought Bond is kind of down and dirty. And you're getting blood on you. You're getting gut. You're getting all kinds of stuff on you, mud, grease, whatever. And just like you're saying, that's going to interfere <laughs> with you being able to fire this weapon then, right? So, well, the, the, Yeah, the other thing I thought about that weapon that was weird to me was when Bond held it in the car, he looked and, and the, the green light goes on. It takes a second for it to register. So oh, if yeah, you need to grab and shoot quick, you can't. Yeah. It, think of how many times you'd need to pull the, the, the gun and use it and have nothing in the way versus the times when a henchman is going to take it from you in a Komodo <laughs> dragon kit and then it'll save your life. I mean, <laughs> you when you really need it or pause, like you'd say, when you really need to pull that trigger, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> All right. I think you got this one nailed, Joe. <laughs> That's great. All right. So... Then we've got Silva, and we've got these threats of uh, cyber attacks, right? We know there's more high-tech stuff in Skyfall 2 in the gadgets, uh, the gadget arena. And we know Silva, he was a mean and efficient villain. I thought he was a great one, one of the better ones. And he threatens a lot of cyber attacks in this story. So, Joe, tell us what you found out about that part 
of fact versus fiction in in Skyfall. There's a rule of thumb, and I and cyber threats and cybersecurity is sort of becoming this magic thing. The bad guys can do anything with it. It's uh, it, it's it's sorcery, yeah. but it's not really. And cyber threats obviously really exist, and oh, there's yeah. a, a lot of different ways that 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 manifests, and you can talk about it. But when you're talking about infrastructure attacks, and you're talking about the kind of thing that he uses in the movie to blow things up. An infrastructure attack can only do as much damage as the system can inflict on itself. So you can make a centrifuge spin really fast and break apart, but you can make, you can route gas lines, you know, and try to overload gas lines to make them blow. But you can't get more gas there than is possible. You can't do magic with that. So, you know, whenever you look at a cyber attack in a movie, you got to think, okay, is that you're taking advantage of the system to attack itself? Or are you making the system do something so magical? like a car driving itself or something like that. If those systems aren't made to drive cars, you're not going to be able to do that. So Skyfall does a reasonably good idea, but at the cyber end of it is, again, they fall on the sorcery part of it rather than they, a well-thought-out plan of attack. So Silva's abilities in Skyfall are a little exaggerated. <laughs> All right. So, Joe, you, you mentioned visiting some kind of prop headquarters or something. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what those kinds of things look like and versus real stuff? Yeah, sure. I had the good fortune working in, in popular mechanics. We did military-related covers cool. uh, all the time. We had to set up photo shoots, so we'd go to the prop houses wow. to get the military hardware. You know, we wouldn't go to the military for it. And their stuff was very accurate. It was like walking into, a, you know, the a James Bond bad guy's lair. So everything from... <laughs> Axes to pipe bombs to futuristic guns, guns that weapons they've made up, rifles, military, old west, everything, bows, arrows. It was it was amazing. But the level of experience that these people had in real weapons and real employment of weapons really surprised me because I figured it was Hollywood. It's all nonsense. But the nonsense isn't coming from the prop shop. It's coming from the screenwriters and the directors and the uh -huh. designers. Oh, that's cool. That is. Yeah, so that's fun. Yeah, tell us a little bit yeah. about yourself, what you're doing now and all that. I have been a journalist, military journalist, tech editor for 20-something years now. I worked at Smithsonian Air and Space Magazine. I was the senior editor of Popular Mechanics for seven, eight years. We're now freelancing for those, both those magazines, but I have a couple of books I write about World War II, space exploration, and the history of, I have a book about the Texas Rangers, so history and, and military kind of crossover. So my career has been really fortunate because I've been able to go into classified settings, you know, ICBM silos and wow. a, a, a cockpit of B2, and got to meet a lot of special operations people did some live fire training, got over to Afghanistan, got to see some of these professionals in action. So wow. when I see a movie and I see similar people and i compare them to the people that i've met who actually do that i only see actors it's sort of like going to braveheart with a you know a hairstylist and they can see every extension it just sort of ruins the illusion for me so but yeah. otherwise it's a, yeah. it's a really fun job and, and it exposes me to a lot of things that other people haven't got a chance to see and then i can share it with everyone which is really the cool part of of, of being a journalist to begin well, we appreciate that yeah that, that that's fantastic what a great background you have for uh for writing the kinds of things we talked about here today so if people wanted to find out more information about joe and your books and so on where would they go find you you can find me uh my books are all on amazon one's called spaceport earth 
Another one is about the history of sunflowers. And uh, the one that's coming out in December is called Inferno. And that's a World War II bomber epic, basically, about a, a man who was the recipient of the Medal of Honor and then got demoted shortly after. So um, it's a World War II story like maybe people haven't seen before. Wow. Very cool. cool. Is there any other place you, people should find you, Twitter or anything else? At Papillardo, Joe works. Also, uh, JoePapillardo.com is out there. There's not much on it, but it does exist. But yeah, that, that's, Twitter's good to find me. That's, that's the easiest way, probably. Okay. Hey, Joe, thanks for coming on the show and explaining some of the gadgets here in Skyfall. We really appreciate it, and it's been great fun. Well, thank you so much for having me. Whenever you, uh, whenever you want to invoke me, just send, uh, send up the bat signal. Yeah, <laughs> we will. Yeah, we do appreciate it. It'll be great yes. fun. This is a great spot to wrap up our first podcast on gadgets, covering Dr. No and Skyfall. And we'd like to thank Joe Papalardo for joining us today. We're actually going to have him back on another show. This is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. From SpyMovieNavigator.com. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, on your favorite podcast app. And tell your friends about our show. That always helps. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot.